0: The opinions expressed on this show are those of the guests and hosts, and do not necessarily represent those of Funeral Radio's management or sponsors. Welcome to the Dan Isard Show, uncut and uncensored analysis from author and consultant Dan Isard. Brought to you by Funeral Radio. And now your host, Dan Isard.
1: Hi and welcome to the Dan Isard Show on Funeral Radio. I'm Dan Assard, and for the next hour or thereabouts, I'm going to take you uncut and uncensored with my analysis, insight, and news about the funeral world. In case you don't know anything about me, I'm a valuator, financial consultant, management consultant, writer, speaker. My company does HR, accounting, mergers, acquisition, lending, anything for a buck. In my podcast number five, you're going to have a chance to learn about Walker Posey and the thoughts he has on the National Funeral Director Association's Consumer Survey. Walker is a funeral director working in a family business in South Carolina, but today he's joining our show as a spokesperson for the National Funeral Directors Association, and he's going to give us insight on their most recent survey. Along the way, you're going to hear some final remarks from Chris Raymond about .com's expert, editor, writer for that website. And you're also going to hear my comments in my Finance 101 section, which are entitled, The Mistakes You Make When Negotiating with a Casket Company. You're going to hear all that in this podcast. And now the news. Brought to you by NOMIS Publications. In print and online, your real source, anywhere, anytime. Dateline, Wisconsin. Cheeseheads are suing funeral service over the combo ownership law. It seems that Wisconsin does not allow funeral homes to own cemeteries and vice versa. In fact, it forced... SCI to sell off their funeral homes because SCI chose to buy cemeteries in their state and retain the cemeteries. This isn't a story that we're going to solve today, but it is one we're going to be watching. Because just as someday Brett Favre will get into the Packer Hall of Fame, someday this lawsuit will come to a resolution. And you'll hear about it here first on Funeral Radio and the Dan Assard Show. Dateline, Georgia. Jeffrey Wages, one of the principal owners of Wages and Sons Funeral Home just outside of Atlanta, has been elected president of the Funeral and Memorial Information Council, also known as FAMIC. Jeffrey is a member of the Academy of Professional Funeral Service Practice, the Academy of Graduate Embalmers of Georgia, Independent Funeral Directors of Georgia, NFDA, Cana, and a past president of the Order of the Golden Rule. Now, he's going to take on the challenge of running FAMIC for the next several years. Good luck, Jeffrey. We're pulling for you. Dateline, Brookfield, Wisconsin. As ridiculous as it seems, a study was conducted to confirm the value of flowers at funerals. It seems, surprisingly enough, people like them. This survey was conducted by the Flower Tribute Organization. Does that come as a surprise to anyone? Dateline, Plano, Texas. Just when you thought you've learned everything you could learn about how to make arrangements with a family, Jeff Friedman of Distinctive Life Funeral Home has created a mobile showroom so that he can make arrangements in a family's home. A mobile showroom complete with caskets, urns, and other funeral memorabilia. Friedman said, I really had to think about How to personalize a funeral and realize that it comes down to serving the consumer in a comforting way for themselves. And that's the news brought to you by Numa's Publications, in print and online, your real source, anywhere, anytime. Before we go off to commercial, let me check in with my friend and contributor Chris Raymond. From About.com, Chris is the expert on dying, funerals, and grief on About.com's website. Chris, try to stump us with somebody's famous last words.
2: Thanks, Dan. This episode's trivia question concerns the last words spoken by various people that proved ironic in hindsight. This individual's last words were, quote, Don't worry, they usually don't swim backwards. Can you name this famous person? Here's a hint for you. Born in Melbourne, Australia in 1962, this future animal conservationist's parents worked with snakes, reptiles, and other wildlife at a small animal park they founded in Queensland. On his sixth birthday, his parents gave him a 12-foot python that he wanted. After meeting and marrying the love of his life in 1991, The newlyweds actually spent their honeymoon trapping some very large and very dangerous reptiles in front of video cameras. That footage eventually formed the first episode of a highly successful television series this person would host. Think you know the name of the famous animal conservationist whose last words were, don't worry, they usually don't swim backwards? I'll give you the answer after this message from Dan's sponsors. Back in the
0: 1980s, caskets were made to seem complicated. Here at Ace Caskets, we demystify the casket and offer funeral homes these simple products at prices that are no doubt going to impress you. Get top quality caskets from the top casket importer in the U.S. We have hassle-free logistics, great quality, and great prices. Call now at 888-998-1888. That's 888-998-1888. Call now.
3: Hello. This is
2: Chris Gordon from A Simple Thank You, the originators of Digital Registry. Our service allows us, or the funeral home, to print out a customized guest book as well as acknowledgement cards that include addressing the envelopes to and from. This saves the family hours of time trying to decipher through illegible handwriting left by many guests. Visit our website, simplethankyoufuneral.com and see what funeral directors and families are saying about A
3: Simple Thank You's Digital Registry service.
2: What do more than 2,000 funeral home and 800 cemetery owners have in common? They have trusted the power of the financial and management consulting advice provided by the Foresight Companies and its president, Dan Assard. Merger and acquisition, business succession, accounting, pricing, marketing, web management. Call 800-426-0165 to put the power of Foresight
0: to work for you. This is Tyler Fraser, founder of Funeral Radio. When I'm not working with the talented hosts here at Funeral Radio, I'm working with funeral directors to fill their cremation urn needs at UPD Earns. I'd like to introduce to you the UPD Earns store. It's an e-commerce store that can integrate with any website, processes urn orders that are totally secure, and there's no charge to set it up. Learn more at updurnscom store.
1: Before we went to commercial, Chris posed a question to us about somebody's famous last words, which were, don't worry, they usually don't swim backwards.
2: Dan, the famous animal conservationist was Steve Irwin, better known as the Crocodile Hunter. While filming a documentary near Australia's Great Barrier Reef in 2006, Irwin encountered a stingray that defensively used its tail spine to ward him off, piercing his chest. Despite the efforts of his crew to save his life, Irwin died from cardiac arrest and excessive blood loss.
1: Thanks, Chris. And if you want to know more about Chris's blog, about.com, dying, D-Y-I-N-G dot about.com on the World Wide Web. Chris Raymond, expert on dying, funeral, and grief. This is Dan Assard from the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio, and I am joined by Walker Posey. Walker is here to answer some questions uh, and explain to our audience about the NFDA survey which was recently updated for their Consumer Awareness and Preference Report. Walker, welcome to Funeral Radio.
3: Hey, Dan, thanks for having me. I really appreciate being on the show.
1: It's my pleasure. Hopefully you say that 25 minutes from now.
3: (laughs) Yeah, we'll see, right?
1: For my audience, Walker, basically you're a funeral director, you're uh, working in a family uh, business in uh, in uh, South Carolina, and uh, in, it's a very progressive business, and obviously uh, you're spending some of your time uh, helping uh, NFDA move on the uh, chosen course. Sure,
3: absolutely. We're, we're here in uh, North Augusta, South Carolina, a fourth-generation uh, funeral firm. Uh, my great-grandfather started back in 1879, but um, yeah, I do. I'm a, a spokesperson for NFDA, and I'm also currently the president of our South Carolina Funeral Directors Association. So try to be someone involved in the industry and, uh, you know, kind of help move those conversations along and see where we're headed.
1: Excellent. And, and as far as education, you attended BYU, graduated there, went on to law school. But uh, after uh, a death of your grandfather, uh, your yellow brick road got sidetracked a bit
3: it did you know uh my plan long term plan was to kind of be um uh, a sports and entertainment uh, attorney but uh when i came back from my grandfather's service i i saw how much uh, meaning uh he had personally to this community and kind of the impact that we have on a daily basis which sometimes we forget in our in our and uh, our profession but w- but we do mean a lot to our communities that we serve and and i really kind of wanted to have have that in my life so i uh i i came back and I went to mortuary school in cincinnati and then uh, came to work. So I've been back about uh, 13, 14 years here with my family. Uh, my dad and I are in business together here, so uh, it's it's been great. Fabulous. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Walker, I'm going to be asking you some questions and about this survey, and NFDA has been kind enough to allow us to take some of the slides and put them on our website or through a handout, so that way our listeners can visualize exactly uh, what we're talking about, and before we end today, I would like to make sure that any listener that's an NFDA member knows how they can get their own copy of this.
3: Sure, absolutely.
1: Walker, as I referred to the various slides in this uh, handout, uh, starting with slide 11, uh, can you give me a little bit of, of an understanding of what we're learning about slide 11, which is entitled Funeral Attendance?
3: Sure, absolutely, Dan. I think it's it's interesting. While we saw a slight uptick maybe in the number of people who didn't attend a funeral, the number is still pretty low, uh, 15%, uh, compared to the number of folks who have attended a funeral. So I think the vast majority of folks have attended a service in the last you know, uh, three to five years, uh, six years, something like that. Uh, and one thing we don't know is why those who didn't attend didn't attend. It could be that they just simply didn't have a death of someone they knew. Um, but I think we're seeing in our industry. I mean, folks are still attending funerals. Um, it may have dropped slightly, but the great majority of folks uh, have attended a funeral in the last six years or so. So, especially here in our in our business, I, I, I have no, um, you know, uh, I haven't seen any any type of drop in the, in the number of folks who attend funerals.
1: One of the common themes uh, that I think every funeral home lives in fear of is addressed in slide. Twelve and thirteen. This deals with uh, funeral planning and funeral shoppers. Uh, is there an intro relationship in your opinion to funeral planning and funeral shopping? You
3: know, it's, it's really interesting uh, when you when you look at at, at slide uh, twelve and 13, um, you know we see that most respondents visited only one funeral home. Sometimes in our profession, we we go through periods where we get a lot of price shopping calls, and it seems like everyone's comparing prices and calling multiple funeral homes. But the data still tells us that that the majority of folks only visit one funeral home. However, those who do compare or who do who do visit more than one funeral home mainly visit them to get prices. So uh, I think that it's important that in our changing demographic, uh, as, as folks uh, kind of value shift or the things they find, important change that we be prepared as an industry to to answer questions to provide education and then to obviously uh, have the information they need quickly um, so I think that's I think how we respond to those consumers who are shopping or comparing is very important.
1: I think it's interesting when a uh, listener might uh, go to our handout and see slide 13 and and the question on shopping is how many funeral homes did you visit? or called before you made your choice. Those people that said that they were shoppers essentially only called one funeral home.
3: That's right, which is which is kind of interesting. I mean, uh, you. <laughs>
1: um,
3: I, I don't know if, I think a lot of times folks don't really know what else to ask other than, uh, you know, about pricing. Uh, maybe they don't have the, the other questions in their mind they would like to ask when they call the funeral home. So it could be that um, although they only called one funeral home, Um, you know, the only thing they knew to to talk about was price.
1: Yeah, I think if you look at the follow-up points on that, uh, approximately 15% price is the key question 50% of the time. Do funeral directors, and I know you field these calls as a funeral home uh, uh, manager, uh, do you live in fear of getting these calls?
3: You know, Dan, I actually welcome the calls because I feel like anytime someone calls in to um, compare pricing or to compare services or whatnot, it's a chance for me to kind of tell our story. And really, when someone calls in, I think that many times they're not just looking necessarily for the cheapest price. They're looking for value. And, And what is value? That's an interesting conversation to have. I mean, value is what you pay for what you get. And I think we underestimate the consumer in terms of what they actually are looking for. When we just think they want the bottom line price, I think many times they're willing to pay a little bit more if they see value in what they're getting. And so for us at our firm, we we treat those calls um, with a little bit of enthusiasm in terms of being able to actually explain our story, why we feel like the level of care that they receive here may be greater than other places, and how we can better serve that family long term. And and we've had success in, in – um, in, in telling that story and having folks who said, look, you know, I know it may be a, a few dollars more here or there for different things, but we really see a lot of value in what you're doing. And so today, as a matter of fact, I had an opportunity to share uh, with a green Barrel consumer who had called in and had called a number of funeral homes. And after our conversation, just simply said, you know, there's no one who understands or has been able to answer my questions to the degree, which you have. So I'm so grateful for that. And then he's coming in this week to make a pre prearrangement. So, uh, I think there's not necessarily – there shouldn't be a negative connotation when it comes to uh, answering those calls.
1: My guest on the Dan Assard Show is Walker Posey of the Posey Funeral Home and a representative of the NFDA. And we're talking about the NFDA survey on consumer attitudes. Walker, as we think about price, it's also interesting when we graduate uh, up the uh, scale of this report to slide number 14 – we get into the concept of why someone chose a funeral home. While they may be asking questions about price on, on the telephone or occasionally in person, what does this slide tell us about the real reasons why someone chose a funeral home?
3: Well, it's interesting to look where price falls on this particular slide. You'll notice it's kind of down towards the, the bottom half uh, where just you know 10.3% of people uh, chose a funeral home based on that. Um, it tells us really from this particular question in this slide that, that most folks call someone who they know and trust. Uh, you look at that first, um, the, the highest level there, 29% of folks called someone who they already knew or had previous experience with, 28%. Uh, I, I think that it, it speaks for um, the fact that that folks want to trust those who they call, and, and funeral directors are still very trusted in our communities, uh, we've always been traditionally up there with clergy and, and folks like that in terms of um, of the trust level we have, and I think that, that still remains true today.
1: You know, th- I think that this slide should be put on under the pillow of every funeral director when they go to sleep, because when you look at price at 10%, and, and it did change, it came down from 11%, I'm sure that's not statistically uh, relevant, But when it's only 10% was the main reason why you chose a funeral home. I I remember in in the 1980s seeing studies that we did for our clients that younger people were as high as 20%. But I think as people get older, their opinions of why to choose a funeral home changes.
3: I would agree with that. And I I think um, also, you know, sometimes uh, in our profession, you know, the... uh, our colleagues, and, and as we tend to, you know, you, you get a few price shoppers here and there, and it, we kind of uh, maybe underestimate uh, why folks are, are calling us. It may seem like there's a lot of, and um, uh, our profession as a whole may seem like there's a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, just uh, a lack of trust when you see newspaper articles and things from. Uh, organizations who are, are trying to paint the, in, the profession in a negative light. But I, still, folks are really uh, – they trust us, and I, and I think it makes you feel good to see that. Um, I think also um, it's important that uh, – you know, for example, the Talk of a Lifetime campaign that FAMIC and NFDA are undergoing, um, th- those are great um, tools for us in terms of telling our story, and I think th- those things also have a positive impact in in this type of question. It speaks back to uh, us providing educational tools for uh, our families, and, and as we do that, our trust level grows. Um, you know, I can tell from the, the, tell you from the funeral directors across the country I've met with, and I've been to several associations this year, state associations, speaking and whatnot. Um, these are good people, and these are professionals who really know what they're doing, and who are seeking to up their level of care and to uh, be a resource for their community. And I think this slide just shows us that that's being received by the consumer.
1: Is there any particular indication of why someone chose a funeral home uh, at, from the survey and from slide 14 that you seem to think is unusual?
3: No. I mean, I, I was a little surprised when we and it said good customer service only came in at 12.5%. I mean, if you ask any funeral director in America, what's what makes you better than your competitor down the street, we'd all say the same thing, right? We'd say good service. And the question is, how do you quantify that and what does it mean? Um and how do you replicate that? But so, so I don't know if that question, if, if good customer service maybe was – that's hard. I mean, I hate to say it's misunderstood, but maybe was uh, – maybe folks just didn't realize what they were saying there. Or maybe, you know, uh, uh, maybe there's an expectation that m- most funeral homes are going to provide an acceptable level of care. So it just came lower in the survey. But that kind of surprised me.
1: Walker, I'm under strict orders never to disagree with anyone on funeral radio. <laughs> but but I have to tell you that uh, your answer of good customer service, I think, applies to those people uh, of one generation, people that uh, have a, they're of the generation. I don't want to identify them by age. But if their tie knot is bigger than their fist, they generally <laughs> say, we embalm better. Oh, correct. <laughs> okay. Correct.
3: And, and, you know, and truthfully, though, what this could tell us um, it's interesting when you do begin to look at uh, different generations. You know, folks like the you know, Gen Yers and Gen Xers and those folks, um, they do value things a little differently. I mean, if you ask my grandparents how they valued customer service versus um, the Gen Yers and Gen Xers, I may be, be surprised in what you find.
1: I am curious about one more point on this slide 14. Sure. And that's prepaid at this funeral home. We've done a lot of studies on pre-need, and I've written a 540-page book on pre-need, which tells you that I have no life. But, <laughs> but I think it's interesting that only about 10 to 8%, depending upon the last two years, actually indicated that they chose a funeral home because that's who they prearranged with.
3: You know, I, I think you know. There's a, and when you get to the pre pre arrangement slides here, you'll we'll see that. I don't think there's as large of a number of folks pre planning uh, as we may have thought there are. Um, I think they will in the future, and it will grow. But um, that that number could be smaller than we think it is at this time.
1: And in, in fact, pre planning is a huge part of of this uh, consumer survey. I'll get to that in just a second. Before I get there, I'd like to jump up to slide 30. Slide 30 begins an area that deals with cremation. And, and one of the things that, that this slide, number 30 at the very least, highlights is the lack of understanding of what the options are that human beings have when planning a funeral where cremation is involved. Can you talk about this?
3: Absolutely. I mean, I think that it, it basically shows to be blunt that we just haven't done a good job in educating folks that when we discuss cremation, it doesn't mean just direct disposition. Uh, you know, uh, when you see only 38% of folks who responded are aware that you can view a body that is prepared but not embalmed prior to cremation, and only 27.9% of respondents actually attended a cremation that had such a viewing. Uh, it's interesting. Um, I have found personally in our practice here that um, we've been working very hard to educate our cremation consumers that you can have uh, bodies present for funerals. And, in fact, uh, you could be embalmed and have a traditional service and, uh, and then have the cremation following. We've seen a, a great uptick in that in our individual firm as we have actually um, educated folks on that. But as, an in, as a profession, I think we really, uh, over the years, have just not uh, done as good as we should have in educating folks uh,
1: Walker, I know there's a fine line that, as I have you on on my show as a spokesperson for NFDA, uh, there's a fine line where I'm hearing the opinions of Walker Posey as as opposed to NFDA, and I find it to be fascinating. So I'm not trying to just keep you to the NFDA um, uh, response, but what is it that you're doing that you have found has given your firm the best result? Uh, to make cremation consumers aware of all their options?
3: I think the arrangement conference process and how we handle that with cremation consumers is very critical. Uh, sometimes we have an, have a tendency in our uh, profession to kind of Uh, maybe be an order taker versus an educator. And so we have an information sheet that has to get filled out and we have to know about the obituary and we have to know about where the service is going to be. And as we kind of go through the list, we check it off and and do what the consumer says they want to do. I think it's having the courage to maybe stop during that process and ask some questions. Like, uh, I understand that um, your loved one mentioned they wanted to do this, but have you thought about those who are left behind and, and maybe the impact that may have on you all? And as you begin to ask some, some kind of pointed questions, I think that um, a lot of folks stop and think and, and they begin to 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 see that um, there is a, a long-term aspect that, that we uh, the need they have to deal with death and grief and heal. And as we can show how ceremony and ritual and things like having time to view your loved one and say goodbye, have meaning and value, then our families who would have maybe traditionally chosen direct disposition will maybe choose to do something um, that they can see will help them long term. So it really comes down to me to how you handle the family in the arrangement conference process and how can you educate them and uh, making sure that your arrangers are prepared to uh, have a style that makes them feel comfortable and also maybe have a little bit of moral authority to actually, you know, ask the consumer some questions.
1: And and I think somewhere along the line, as a consultant, at some point in time, funeral directors have got to learn to use one word. And and I think that word is no.
3: I would agree. Absolutely. Um, I think we sometimes get in a little bit of a rut where we feel like that if we're going to um, make any waves uh, or whatnot that uh, we may may lose a call or something. But really, we're dealing with with human beings, and I think obviously they're at a, a higher uh, emotional stress state. But they they've come to us as we've seen in the previous slides because they trust us, and when we have their trust, we can actually make suggestions and things. I think that uh, that they can they'll trust that we're, we're, we have their best interest in mind. I mean. If they really do value our opinions and they see us as a true professional, not as just a uh, an order taker, then then they'll give thought to what we what we suggest, and they'll know that we're not going to suggest something that's not in their best interest. So uh,
1: that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. Okay, my guest is Walker Posey of the Posey Funeral Home, and with us today on the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio, he's here to talk about the NFDA survey on consumer attitudes as it's been updated for, for the year 2014. Walker, let's uh, go to some of the, the future of funeral service and, and what I'll call the crack cocaine of funeral service, and that's the effective use of prearrangements. Starting on slide 34, NFDA asked a number of questions about prearrangements. Can you help our readers understand what some of these results mean?
3: I can. Um, I like your your analogy, the crack cocaine of uh, funeral service. But is uh, very important and uh, something we focus on. I think a lot. But when you look at this slide and you look at the question, have you made any prearrangements for yourself? You know, eighty one percent of folks say no. That that's surprising uh, to, to me. Uh, when we spend a lot of time, uh, you know, we, we spend a lot of focus and time on that on this particular topic. Uh, that surprised me. Um, I think though that. When you look at uh, those who responded, you know, I think 73 percent of the respondents were maybe uh, under the age of 65, which we know now that 65 is is not considered elderly. <laughs> I mean, baby boomers are, are, uh, are definitely still very active. And I think on some level, maybe the baby boomer generation uh, could see itself maybe as too young to make these decisions because when we look at uh, some further questions, uh, you know, uh, we look at you know you see that 50% of those who were surveyed say they want to make prearrangements at some point they're just not ready yet so it could be that that uh, we're getting um, I guess younger as we get older <laughs> if that makes sense and uh, we uh, we've been putting these decisions off uh, at some point that's got to got a break and folks I think will begin to preplan to a greater degree.
1: One of my previous guests Graham Cook of Homesteaders or formerly of Homesteaders. Said to the effect that we're starting to have a process of dying, not just dying, and it starts with the process of getting older. But but I will comment on this slide, slide thirty four, uh, which the readers, the listeners can uh, download from our website. Slide thirty four that has a pejorative within it. <clears throat> the pejorative it is where. Uh, the writer of this uh, slide said of the eighty one percent who have not made prearrangements, only fifty-three and a half said they were either somewhat or likely to make prearrangements in the next five years. I think fifty-three and a half percent is a heck of a large number.
3: Well you notice I I didn't say only. (laughs) I I was excited about the fifty three and a half percent because I think the the number of baby boomers out there is huge and um, you know, if you get half of those folks coming in your door, I think you'll see a massive uptick in, in, in pre-arrangements. I mean, even though we say and this slide says there's 81 percent of folks uh, who have not pre-planned, we you know we see a lot of folks walking in our door every day to make prearrangements. arrangements So um, I don't see it as a negative thing. I think uh, if anything, we should have a little hope that we have a pretty big market to go after. I, I do think it's important how we, uh, again, I've been talking about education a lot, but I think it's important that we provide um, really good information for folks with pre-arrangements. Pre- 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 um, sometimes we get caught in the marketing trap uh, and we kind of aggressively over-market. Uh, if we can find the right mix between marketing and, and education, I think we'll really uh, have a have a win-win there for, for our consumers and, and for the, the funeral home.
1: Walker, one of the things that I try to do as I interview my guests has asked them a very simple question, but at the same time, it's quite complex. I'd like people's individual opinions as to the future success changes we need to make in funeral service. So allow me to ask you the question that is so very important to me, and I want to know your thoughts on. Can you please tell me what, in your opinion, Funeral service has to change about itself in order to be profitable into the future.
3: Gosh, Dan, that's a great question, and uh, it could be a long a long answer, but I'll try and short it down for you. I think that, that what we have to change is really the way we communicate value. What I mean by that is uh, in our profession, we all know as professionals the great value that funeral service has and the meaning it has to folks in dealing with death and grief and helping them long term. I think that our audience, the way they receive communication is different than it was in the past. And so if we can find a better way to connect with that consumer, uh, maybe it's a channel of communication, maybe it's a, uh, a, a, the, the, the mode of communication, whatever it is. Uh, if, we can, if we can find a, a better way to do that, I think that we'll be able to have more of their time to explain the value and to educate folks on uh, what we're doing. So I really think a lot of it is not that what we do now doesn't have value because what we've done for 150 years here and what we would do for the next 150 years has value. Our business may change and shift a little bit, but the fact that we are a part of uh, – our, our profession is needed and will be needed for, uh, forever uh, is, is true. I just think we have to find a better way to connect with our consumer to tell our story. Uh, That's what I see.
1: My guest has been Walker Posey, a spokesperson on behalf of the NFDA, as well as one of the principal funeral directors in the family business in North Augusta, South Carolina. Walker, thank you so very much for being a guest on the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Funeral Radio, I'm Dan Asard, your host, and this is Finance 101. This podcast's Finance 101 lesson deals with the mistakes you make when negotiating with a casket company. Ladies and gentlemen, if you think that negotiating with a casket company is easy, I can tell you I have done it more than 150 times, and it is not easy. It's not easy because ultimately my client usually believes that one casket company is better than another. Before I get into my complete and total explanation on what you have to do, when you negotiate with a casket company. And the mistakes you have to avoid. Understand one thing. It's a box. It is low technology. There is no electronics anywhere. OnStar is not an option. Ladies and gentlemen. This is a box. For hundreds and hundreds of years. The same guy that would make furniture. Was making these things. This is is simple. It is not technology. There is no difference between the products. In 1998 or 99, there was a major conference sponsored by Funeral Service Insider called the Casket Summit. Batesville Casket Company had just given a very well-known contract to SCI and a number of funeral directors were up in arms. Enough so that FSI, Funeral Service Insider, was able to get more than 100 funeral homeowners and casket company executives to come to a seminar, I was asked to be a presenter. With the presidents of the five major casket companies in the audience at that time, I asked them to be willing to bet me $10,000. If any one of them can spot and identify which casket was theirs from more than 60 feet away. Because keep in mind, when you put a casket at the front of a chapel, the average person is sitting 60 to 100 feet away. Not one of them was willing to bet me. That should tell you something that caskets are pretty much alike. There has been litigation in federal court in Louisiana to protect the design of caskets as Chinese companies tried importing caskets that look the same as other companies' caskets. That litigation was thrown out. So please understand It's just a casket. Now, what are the mistakes you make with a casket company? Well, what you have to understand is that in the history of funeral service, if you're younger than 40, there was a day when the casket salesman was held in the highest of reverence. The casket salesman not only was your best friend, he was a source of operating knowledge that you could get nowhere else. He also was a source of gossip, usually with wonderful stories about your competitor. The only thing people didn't figure out was that he was also selling caskets to your competitor, and therefore he was telling your competitor gossip about you. So many times in today's world, I go into websites, and I see websites given to funeral homes by casket companies. How ridiculous is that? These companies are used to building caskets, not building high-tech communications devices. Ultimately, we have to understand that casket companies do several things. First, they build caskets. Secondly, they deliver caskets. And thirdly, they stand behind their product to issue a warranty so that you don't have to. Prior to 1984, the entire business was built on caskets. Think about it. A family came into your funeral home, and they chose a funeral By choosing the casket, they paid one price and they got everything. And everything was predicated upon the price of the casket. Back then, people would mark up their caskets 400, 500, 600% and throw everything else in. Now, in 1980, 82, 84, 85, keep in mind most funerals involved a casket. Oh, sure, there was cremation, but not near like it is today. So your profitability prior to 1984 was predicated upon the casket that a family chose. Then the FTC happened. Since then, itemized pricing came along. And since then, more and more people would choose their services and their casket as separate independent decisions. Caskets were never shopped prior to 1984 and today they are we've seen Costco and other retailers come in and dabble with casket stores when we understand casket companies we have to understand that their job is to sell caskets as Ronald Reagan said the first rule of the bureaucracy is to preserve the bureaucracy And the first rule of casket companies is to sell caskets. Problem number one that you make is negotiating with them on their terms. Casket companies in the last 10 years started this whole thing of, quote, a discount. And you would negotiate for a 5%, a 10%, a 15%, 25%, or a 35% discount. The problem is we don't know what it's a discount upon. We assume that every casket company has one price for each casket. Don't focus on the discount. The discount is a loser's move. Just say to the casket company, if you want my business, give me the net, net, net price of the casket. I don't want rebates at the end of the year. I don't want discounts every month. I don't want your baseball tickets. Just give me a net, net, net price of each unit. And if, in fact, your pricing is the best, you have my contract. In fact, you'll have my contract for as long as you will guarantee the price of those units. Ah, there's the rub. The price of the units changes year to year. They only guarantee for that one year. And they do that because they know they can't predict the increasing cost Of their ability to merchandise the caskets, have the labor to build the caskets, or deliver the caskets. Problem number two, they ask you to sign a multi-year contract. Why should you sign a multi-year contract when they can't give you a price any years in advance? It happens to be the same argument we have with pre-need. How can you guarantee to serve a family in the future with services or merchandise when nobody knows what the inflationary cost is going to be in the future? Now, trust me on this. If you're a typical funeral home, 150 to 200 calls, one location, you employ several people, but none of them have a Ph.D. in economics. Trust me on this. The large casket companies employ people who are looking at long-range costs of merchandise that are building futures models on the delivery cost of this merchandise on gasoline on steel they are better equipped to be able to make these guesses into the future than you are and you know what they are unwilling to do it do you know why because they can't possibly get it right any more than you can so keep your contract to one year at a time problem number three i call this odds and ends butts and cheeks somewhere along the way we were sold the idea that a casket showroom doesn't have to show caskets doesn't even have to show pictures of caskets. It can just show a quarter panel or a half panel. Well, maybe that would work for somebody that was buying a lot of caskets in their lifetime, like you. But for the average consumer who buys two caskets in their lifetime, and that number is decreasing, well, that doesn't work for them. If you compare, as I am able to do as a management consultant, showrooms that have full-size caskets in them versus those that have butts and cheeks, quarter cuts, end panels, you'll find that the showroom that has a higher average of the two is the one with a full size. In fact, if you want to know the secret, The showroom that has the highest average wholesale of all, and every time I'm able to go into a region and check out multiple funeral homes within that same region, it's the showroom that has no caskets. Yes, the virtual showroom has a higher average wholesale than a showroom that has butts and cheeks or even one that has only full-size caskets. And here's the reason why. Picture, if you will, the average funeral director is leading a family around a showroom. He takes them around the showroom one time, and he does a beautiful job explaining everything to the family. However, this funeral director has an insecurity complex. He's afraid the family is going to think that he's trying to sell them. So at some point, he dismisses himself And says something like, I'm going to go call Father and make sure that he's got that time available. Well, at that moment in time, a very interesting physiological event happens. The smartest man in the room leaves the room. The person who knows the most about caskets, how they're used, how they're appreciated... What impression they make, what colors look better with what skin tone, what has a better reference with what gender, that person has just left the room. Now, here's a basic law of mental physics. When the smartest person in the room leaves, that creates a vacuum, and that vacuum is always filled as quickly as possible by the dumbest person remaining in the room. The dumbest person in the room will start saying, well, gee whiz, this is good enough, or that's good enough. And suddenly the average wholesale goes down. Now, when we see the virtual showroom, the funeral director holds on to the monitor and the mouse and shows the family the caskets as he wants to show them. He answers their questions, and because he is mouse-phobic, in other words, he doesn't want to give up the mouse. He remains in the room. And by remaining in the room, the smartest person in the room remains in the room. Therefore, there is no knowledge vacuum. Therefore, the dumbest person in the room has to stay sequestered. Do you get it? Oh, and by the way, you hear me say the smartest A man in the room leaves the room. It could be a woman just as well. Female funeral directors and male funeral directors have many similar psychological styles. Problem number four, the tie-in, the yoking together. How many times does a casket company say to you, Oh, I'll make a loan to you to rebuild your showroom, but you have to give me 100% of your showroom. Or, oh, if you give me 100% of your showroom, we'll build a website for you. Or, as with one pre-need insurance company, if you use this pre-need life insurance company and this casket company, we'll create certain points of future protection for you. Ladies and gentlemen, the pre-need tie-in, the website tie-in, the loan tie-in, they're all tie-ins. Anytime we have to create a false umbilical cord to keep a relationship going, that relationship is not worth having. Problem five, relationship-oriented marketing. Your casket salesman is not your best friend. If you're listening Repeat after me. Your casket salesman is not your best friend. Now, if you're saying, oh, Dan, you don't understand. He really is. Get out more. See, casket companies market three ways. One, by the casket salesman being a relationship-oriented person. And therefore, you wind up liking them. Second thing they do is they find truck drivers that are very amiable, and when they show up, they're always nice to you, and they help you unload or or help you load. And the third thing is the phone operator is always wonderful. You cannot afford to look at 20% or more of your total overhead being done with a company just because you think... They're your best friend. You need to understand that different casket companies are going to help you in different ways, but the first thing they can do is give you the products at the lowest possible price. Ultimately, you yourself have got to make sure that you're selling these units in a fast enough basis so that way you can get a good inventory turn. Inventory turn means that you're turning over your showroom floor or your inventory fast enough. And fast enough is at least eight times a year. Anything less than eight times a year, you're not doing a good job. Anything less than six times a year, you probably need to be on consignment. Now, don't remember consignment from what your father used to tell you. Consignment used to mean that you're not getting a good discount or good pricing on your merchandise. Some were even on lockdown. Ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you, after helping hundreds of funeral homes negotiate with casket companies, you get just as good a price today on consignment merchandise as you do anything else. As long as you pay your bills in a timely fashion. So, keep in mind, there are five key points. Don't fall into any of them. Avoid relationship-oriented marketing. Avoid the pre-need tie-in. Avoid the butts-and-cheeks or odds-and-end showroom. Avoid multi-year contracts. And avoid the discount. Just ask for a plain old-fashioned price. C-O-B. Cash on the barrel. To buy your caskets. You're listening to Finance 101 on the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. Next month, my Finance 101 podcast is going to feature how to make your website pay for itself and then some. I want to thank today's guests, of course, Chris Raymond for his regular contribution. Chris, the editor and all round guru from dying.about.com. Go to his website, sign up, get all the news from Chris when it comes out firsthand. I also want to thank Walker Posey of Posey Funeral Home in North Augusta, South Carolina, and the National Funeral Directors Association for giving us Walker and allowing us to reprint part of their slides on our website. I also want to thank my executive producer, Tyler Frazier, my personal producer, Catherine Marie Bellavo. Please like us on Facebook, The Dan Sard Show, and download everything that's tied to this show so that you'll have a visual to go with the audio. Don't forget to read my column and feature articles in the Director Magazine, as well as ICCFA, American Cemetery, and American Funeral Director. You know, it's hard to suppress my Jewish upbringing. I came across a Yiddish proverb the other day that is so appropriate to this business. Please, regardless of your religion, please think about adopting this into your daily set of prayers. The proverb is, if the rich could hire other people to die for them... The poor could make a wonderful living. As always, if I've offended you, please tell your friends. You've been listening to The Dan Assard Show on FuneralRadio.com.